can't stop you. Oh, good evening, everybody. All right. Yeah, there they are. Things feel more back to normal. Uh, Turn your Bibles to Matthew 6. Uh, We're going to move on to the next petition. And then I thought to myself today, I wonder how how long have we been studying prayer? When did we start prayer? Right? It's good that you don't know because I looked it up. I went on the website to see when the first message on prayer was September 18th. So we've been at it for four months. So anyway, I'm like, is that too long? <laughs> I asked God in prayer. He, he didn't say anything. So just, yeah, exactly. We'll just keep going. So uh, Matthew 6, let's start with prayer. Let's thank God together as we can be together and hear his word. For all you all online as well, uh, and to be grateful and thankful to uh, get ourselves nice and humble and ready to hear his word. So with that, let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you have given us, through Jesus Christ our Lord, a supernatural life, that we live in these natural bodies and in this natural world. We know by faith in your word that we have a supernatural life with you. And in that life, we need not fear anything. We need not want for anything because you are our shepherd. You are our provider. By your grace, we are saved, and by your grace, we are loved and provided for. We need not fear condemnation or starvation or going without. And we can focus completely on you We can, because you have made us new creatures. You've made us brand new. So from that position, we can focus on you. We can function in the spiritual life and have control through your spirit and and put all of our effort into loving you and following you and learning about you so that we may know you more and worship you, which is the key to life. And so, Father, we thank you for Jesus Christ, our Lord. We thank you for the Holy Spirit within, for all that you have done, which is above and beyond our dreams. And we ask, Father, that our message tonight would help us all to know more about prayer. And we ask this in Christ's name. Amen. So uh, we move now to the next petition, the second to last, the seventh one. uh, Sorry, the fifth one. There's only six. And uh, so it says, pray then. The Lord says, pray in this way. Again, I remind you of the Greek there. He says, uh, he says, Pray this, you know, it's it's not the word way or it doesn't he doesn't say pray in this kind of way. He says, pray this. Right? And it's a command. Our father who is in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Again, those first three are about our adoration and worship of God. First off, for his person, first and foremost, and as we saw, if we don't worship his person, person, We'll get mixed up about his work and his will. Uh, the work is his kingdom. The wisdom of God is his will. We might get confused as to you know what the work is for. Is it for us? And you know, it, it, in a way, it is for us. There's a lot that is for us, but ultimately, it's all for the glory of God. And if we miss that, we'll start to think that life is about us. That we should be. Um, you know, the, like the prosperity doctrine that's so very popular that God is, uh, that God needs us in, in even. It, people have come to believe that, that God needs us to establish his kingdom. Who gets the glory for that? You know, it's the glory that the church shares in God's glory. We share in God's glory. We see God's glory in the mirror of the face of Jesus Christ. Uh, and that glory becomes our own. But it's never ours. We must always remember that, that at the front, the very first petition is the holiness of the Lord 
the holiness of our Father who is in heaven. And then we won't get mixed up about what his work is for, what the kingdom is for, and what his will is for. And it keeps us straight when in, in, in that. It's very, very important. Then the last three petitions uh, deal with us, uh, but not us alone, but us in our relationship with God. But it gets down to what we do and how we live. And that is in, first off, give us this day our daily bread. And hence, you know, right, that this prayer should be prayed every day. It's our daily bread, today's bread. Now, as we see, and I'm going to uh, do a little thing at the beginning of Sunday to show you again that this word daily is a bit of a confusing word. But even if you took out the word daily, in Greek it's confusing. It's in English, it's fine. But give us today's bread. Like, when should you pray that? Tomorrow? Yesterday? No, I mean, this is to be prayed every day. Give us this day our day. But you're to know it, right? You're to know what these petitions mean. They're of extreme importance. All other prayer is based upon this. You look, uh, as I was looking at a, a few of Paul's prayers uh, recently, and you, get, you can fit every prayer that is in the New Testament into this structure, into this framework, although it's not the exact same words. So give us this day our daily bread. That's the provisions of God every day for us, what we need to live what we need to exist. Why do, I mean, we can't do God's will if we're not alive. So God's going to provide for our needs, and he doesn't want us to worry about those needs, which Jesus will go on to teach here in chapter 6 uh, later on. <clears throat> so then, verse 12, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. Uh, and, and do not lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Uh, by the way, in verse 12, it says, have forgiven our debtors. That's a, it's a bit of a stretch of a translation. It should just say, as also we have, we forgive, or not have, meaning, in other words, that we always have, meaning in the past. This is an aorist tense, which doesn't really have a time stamp on it. And so we forgive uh, past, present, future. We're forgiving all who sin against us, so... It's not just sins of the past. So anyway, uh, and do not lead us into temptation. We'll see the, the, what that means when we get there. Uh, that will be soon, uh, but deliver us from evil. And that speaks of our spiritual walk. So the last petition is about our spiritual walk. The uh, fourth and the fifth are about our physical well-being uh, and that we need not be concerned about uh, our... Uh, our needs uh, physically, that God is going to provide them, that we don't have to be concerned or worried. It will be provided. That doesn't mean that we don't work either, uh, as has become a problem here in the United States. Uh, <clears throat> but anyway, that he gives us today our daily bread and forgive us now, forgive us our debts, which has to deal with our mental state. Now, the reason why this has to deal with our mental state is because if our minds are filled with shame, right? This is uh, the reason why I isolate it to the mind is because, well, first off, this petition is separated from the last one. The last one is about us walking the spiritual life. This one is about us being able to lay aside shame and guilt because of our sin. And all of us have it. All of us sin on a daily basis. And some of some in the Christian life sin more than others. It's true. Some sin more overtly. Some are way more controlled by sin than others. But none of us could say that we had a perfect day. I don't know how you would have the ability to actually count that. And we'll, we'll see that as we study this. Being sinners on a daily basis can be a real drag on our relationship with God. If we are guilt-ridden because of our past or our present, if we are, and this doesn't mean that we don't have shame or have feeling about our sin, and we're going to see that as well, but the, even if there is shame about our sin and that God will at times make us ashamed of our sin as he, as he will discipline us, it's, you know, if you're, if, if when that happens, you're like, oh, yeah, I sinned. It's great. I love to sin. You know, it's, it's awesome. I'm free. I love to sin. And then God hammers you with discipline. Like, oh, yeah, all this pain. It's great. It shows me 
Look, I remember that in Hebrews 12. God loves those who he disciplines. So this is great. You know, hit me harder, God. You know, this is, I love it. I mean, that you'd be a bit insane. But is that the attitude? Does God want you to have a certain attitude towards sin? Well, it turns out that God has an attitude towards sin. And we're to have his mind. And we have to be very careful about two things. We'll, we'll see them today. There's, what we're going to talk about today is not so much what sin is, because Jesus is not really dealing with that. He's not dealing with like the doctrine of homardiology, which is the doctrine of sin. He's not dealing with that. He's not talking about particular sins. He's not even talking about the isolated sins that we see, that we notice, say today, if you notice the sin that you committed and you confessed it. And Father, I, uh, you know, I blew it again, or I did this, I said that. You confessed it to God. And he's not talking about that either. Because he doesn't use the word confession here. What he uses is forgive us. And just like all the other petitions, it's a command. Afe, the Greek word is forgive. It's a common word for forgive. And it's in the imperative mood. It means forgive us. Uh, and we're, in a way, we're not demanding it from God, commanding him, but like in all the other petitions, when you see here an imperative, that's a command. It means we intensely desire it. All right. So this, again, and that speaks of an attitude. If your attitude towards God and you sin, he's like, yeah, you know, God, I sinned. Ha, ha, you know, it's not a big deal. I know I'm forgiven, blah, blah, blah. But <clears throat> this really, in being a commandment, I demand your forgiveness or I need your forgiveness. We're not really bossing them around, but yet it is an intense desire for forgiveness on a daily basis. Now, I know theologically we, we get start thinking, now, wait a minute, I'm forgiven of all sin. Isn't that true? Absolutely true. The scripture is absolutely clear in that, that we are forgiven of all sin. As far as the east is from the west, so has he cast it. He does not take our sins and iniquities into account anymore. And so... Uh, yes, they're forgiven. But what Jesus here is getting at is our attitude. Our attitude on a daily basis of our forgiveness. Uh, and so we'll get into that. So why does this have to deal with our minds? Absolutely because of guilt, shame, condemnation, low self-image, or, <clears throat> and we don't, th- this is more subtle, an arrogant spirituality, but th- th- those are two, that's an oxymoron, but uh, an arrogant, prideful spirituality is if I say, well, you know, I, I know I'm already forgiven, so I'm just going to, like the Corinthians, it doesn't matter what I do, right? Because I'm forgiven and God loves me and I have eternal life. So what I, do I care about sin? Not really. Do I care if I sin? I don't really care. You know, it doesn't, it doesn't bother me. And that's like the other side. The pendulum's always swinging both ways. I think in America, because we have this, and, and I think in a good way, we have this individualism, and we also have this, you know, independence, which is a very good thing. But it's not good to be independent from God, and it's also not good to be independent from God's mind, from his attitude. God's attitude towards sin is that he loathes it, he hates it. Uh, sin is completely against his nature. Everything that God loves and desires is not found in sin. Sin is against what God loves and desires. So what is our attitude towards God? What is the measure of our attitude towards God or the type of attitude we have towards God if we are uh, we have you know no concern about what God hates or we really have no opinion about what God hates? In other words, it's, you know, case or us or I, I don't really care. If we don't really care about what God cares greatly about, then it speaks of our attitude towards God. And if that's the case, then our attitude needs to change. And God will reveal that. For a lot of years, I had the case or us or I attitude towards sin. And, you know, it, 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 was, it was easy for me to do. Uh, and, and, you know, it, it catches up with you. I mean, every... Everybody who who, uh, who runs with sin knows this. 
eventually it does catch up with you greatly. Physically and mentally and spiritually. The whole of you is damaged. And in, some, and in many cases, the damage can't be undone. Uh, where the damage, by the way, where the damage can't be undone, it lingers in your soul and in your body, uh, and it can't be fixed. Uh, what God gives you the power to do is overcome, <coughs> while, meaning to strive spiritually even though you retain that weakness, whether it's mentally or physically. So, <coughs> forgive us our what? Now, we don't have here in Matthew, forgive us our sins, right? We have forgive us our debts. <coughs> That's exactly what the word is. There's a Greek word for sin and there's a Greek word for debt. Uh, this is debt. Uh, it's in the plural, so it's debt. Uh, debt is held by the debtor. So notice the second part, as we also forgive our debtors. So forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now when we read, for, as we forgive our debtors, it's very easy because we're often absorbed with ourselves, to simply think that others have debt against me. Now, first, my debt, forgive us our debt, who is your debt against, or with, who holds your debt, is God, because debt deals with sin. But then we move to people versus you, not you and God, but you and people. The second part of the petition is about you and others, and it says others have debt against you. And we might, you know, we, the, what, what do we normally think of? We say, oh, yeah, they do. Uh, and I could make a list for you of people who really have debt with me. Meaning they've sinned against me, they've hurt me, they've, uh, they've <coughs> persecuted me, they've let me down, blah, blah, blah. They left me. They have, they've sinned against me and they have debt against me. What we have to remember is that the, there's people in debt to us, absolutely, meaning people have sinned against you. Or, and sin, by the way, is, is what's often overlooked about sin is the sin of omission. There's the things that we should have done that we didn't do. That is sin. And there's things that people should have done for you, and they didn't do it. And so you'd say, well, they're my, they're my debtors. But you have to remember that you're their debtor as well. Because have you been perfect towards everyone, towards anyone? Have you actually been sinless towards this person that you're considering their debt? And hence, we have to forgive them, and which is clear in the Scripture that if we don't forgive others, that God is going to have a problem with that. And we're going to be... Not that God, God has forgiven us of all sins, but the way it's put is, is that if we don't forgive others, we're not forgiven. But in the context of that passage of not being forgiven, it means that we are not okay with God, that there's, there's issues there that have to be resolved. So we have to forgive all others. Uh, but first, and that's what we'll talk about first here, is Christ speaks of our debt uh, before our debt to others from whom we seek forgiveness. Our debt is to God. Uh, so we're going to look at today our attitude towards it. That's what this message is going to be about. In Luke 11:4, which is Luke's version, he does not use the word debt. Luke uses the word for sin, harmatia. Uh, the Greek word is harmatia, and Luke has it, and forgive us our sins. For we ourselves also forgive everyone who is indebted to us. So the, the second part matches Matthew's, but the first part does not. Uh, Luke's account has forgive, Matthew's account has debt. Uh, so... Why would there be a difference? Well, you, we don't know, uh, first off. We'd have to ask Matthew and ask Luke and say, why did you write different versions? But we can you know, look at uh, the Scripture around and think to ourselves, well, what about, you know, do you think this is the first time, the only time that Jesus taught his disciples this prayer? Uh, Gail, could you give me a little more volume, please? Thank you. Thank you. I just like to hear that echo a little. Yeah, thank you. Um, <clears throat> did he only teach him once this prayer? Probably not. Uh, did he also teach them that the debt before God is sin? And this is important. It's actually great that we have both renderings, both, and there's difference because 
if we just have Matthew's account, we might conclude that debt means something else besides sin. Maybe, you know, whatever. Whatever your mind could come up with. But in the case where you compare it with Luke, what is the debt against God or with God? It is sin. So debt is uh, aphilema. Aphilema, that's how you pronounce it. Aphilema. And uh, it means that which is owed and that which is legally due. It's a common word in, in extra-biblical Greek, meaning uh, the Greek used outside of the Bible during this time. I mean, there's an economy in Greece and in Rome, and people have debts. And that's, this is the word that's used. The only other place where this noun, now there's, an, there's a verb, a noun, and an adjective. They all come from the same root word. Uh, but the noun is only used one other time in the New Testament, and that's in Romans 4.4. 4. And it's, uh, it's related greatly to what we have here in the Lord's Prayer. Again, a philema, which means to owe something or to have something legally due, means you have to pay it. And if you don't pay it, well, you face the consequences. Right? So let's go to Romans 4. Go to Romans 4.4. 4. Romans 4.4, 4. now to the one who works, his wage is not credited as a favor, meaning grace, but as what is due. And there is a philema, now that's the Greek word here, what is due, or what is a debt. All right, so this is a common example, Paul's using a common example. If I uh, make a deal to work with, uh, for somebody for the day in the ancient world, it's uh, labor. Uh, a laborer was paid a denarius at this time in the first century. That was a day's wage. It was a denarius. Uh, so, and you see the parable of the vineyard workers has that. Uh, so, anyway, uh, <clears throat> if I made an agreement with someone, I say, I'm going to work in your vineyard today for a denarius. When the day is over and I'm time to get paid, he doesn't say, This is a gift. Right? The, the boss has to pay me. You know, or he's he's done something illegal. So because I've worked, I have to get paid. The one I worked for is in my debt. So, and then in verse 5, but to the one who does not work, but believes in him who justifies the ungodly, his faith is credited as righteousness. Just as David also speaks of the blessing on man to whom God credits righteousness apart from works. And he quotes Psalm 32. Blessed are those whose lawless deeds have been forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Blessed is the man whose sin the Lord will not take into account. And I, you know, I hope, I, I, I have to remind myself of this and I hope for anyone who listens to me in my congregation, do not ever take this for granted. And what I mean is the forgiveness of sin and the justification by faith. Never. If you find yourself going, oh, yeah, I know that ho-hum, you need to pause and either contemplate, meditate, or pray and see and feel even the importance of this. Because the alternative is judgment in the lake of fire. And all of us deserve that. Right? All of us deserve judgment. Every member of the human race is a sinner. Jesus says to us on a daily basis, I want you to say, forgive us our sins. Daily. And so, um, but what is this wonderful news? I mean, Romans 4 is, is it. Well, actually, it starts in Romans 3.23. Where you, there's a, no, is it 21? Go back to Romans 3.21. I think it's 21 where the but. Yeah. But now, apart from the law, the righteousness of God has been manifested, being witnessed by the law and the prophets, even the righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all those who believe, for there is no distinction. And that continues to 4 and 5. 
And then there's a bit of a shift in 6 and 7 and a beautiful shift in Romans chapter 8. See, in Romans 4, what we have here is that, again, the, the, um, the image that Paul uses that everybody knows is a common example of labor. Uh, if you work, you get paid. If someone agrees to put in a day's work for another, he is in debt. the person that he's worked for is indebted to him and has to be paid. However, God justifies not because we worked, but because we believed. Clear. We didn't work for it. We didn't do anything. We believed. And Christ is our Savior. It's unmerited favor. And he uses the word favor there as charis, which is the same as grace. Now to the one who works, his wage is not credited to him as a favor. But the one who believes is. It is. So God justifies us uh, as in unmerited favor and grace by faith. He continues to show what faith is, that faith, sorry, is credited as righteousness. The example here in the context is Abraham. Abraham believed God and it was uh, given to his account or credited as righteousness. However, right, which verse 6 shows us, 6, 7, and 8, God cannot just say, you know what, you believed in me, great, I justify you. You believed in me, here's my righteousness. Because what is continued to be shown here is the fact that we have to have our sins forgiven. He continues to show that faith is credited to, as righteousness, but it cannot happen without the forgiveness of sins. Why is that? Just as Jesus showed us in teaching on prayer that our sins are our debt to God. All right, Forgive us our debts. The same word is used by Paul in Romans 4.4. 4. We have a debt and we can't pay it by work. Uh, we can only believe in Christ. And therefore, our sins have to be forgiven. Uh, no member of the human race can be righteous with God unless his sins are forgiven. And if they reject Christ as their Savior, which is clearly here that this comes by faith in Christ, if they reject Christ as their Savior, then... Uh, then, uh, of course, they're not forgiven. So every day, as Christ says here, we find ourselves, uh, to some degree, breaking God's commands. Right? Every day. Did you? What day was your perfect day? I, I can cut to the quick here if you're thinking about it. Uh, there are none. Every day we find ourselves, to some degree, some more than others, breaking God's commands. Not doing what we should have done, especially those. You know, could you possibly count all the opportunities where God wanted you to do something and you completely missed it or you chose not to? <clears throat> not doing what we should have done. How about this one? Not being grateful, not being thankful, not being gracious, sinning with our words, sinning with our thoughts, missing opportunities, doing what we shouldn't. And then the very next day, we wake up and we expect to carry on without judgment. Right? It's a new day. What was my track record yesterday? Whatever it was, there was sin in it. And I get up this morning and I expect to soldier on without judgment. And judgment clearly shown for sin in the scripture, the judgment is death. But I don't die. And then I also say, by the way, God, give me bread today. I want what you have for me. I'm in debt to God, yet God holds out his hand and I take from it on a daily basis whatever he has for me. You know, when we talk about give us uh, this day our daily bread, we think, you know, don't, which is true what we've seen, uh, don't want more than what God gives you. And it's almost like, right, do we have this attitude that we feel kind of humble? Look, you know how humble I am? I don't want more than what God has given me. And I agree, that that is a level of humility. But we might start to really pat ourselves on the back for that attitude. Like, I'm not greedy, I don't want more. All right, that's wonderful, actually. That's the way we should be. We shouldn't be greedy, we shouldn't want more. But here's the other question. Are we thankful? I mean, really heartfelt thankful for what God has given you today, given me? given us. 
Are we thankful for the food we had today, for the water we had, for the people in our lives, for those mental needs as well as physical, for the things that He's provided, for the air that we've breathed, for the car that we have, for the house that we have, for the clothes that we have, for the people in our lives, for the work that we get to do, for the dreams, you know, for the Word of God, the church that we get to go to, the people at the church. Are we grateful for these things? Or do we just take them for granted and then start to pat ourselves on the back that we don't want more? You know, this way, you know, the, the, the spiritual life is such a narrow life. I mean, it's razor thin. You can so easily be like, yeah, look how humble I am, and now I'm proud of my humility. <laughs> uh, or, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm satisfied. I'm not greedy. And I, you know, kind of love myself for not being greedy. And then I look at those who are, and I go, oh, so much better than you. It's one, two steps to the right or to the left. You're off the narrow road. That's why we need it's daily, right? We only have to. We live for today, not tomorrow. Today, we've got to be alert, sober, and careful. The devil prowls around seeking someone to devour. He's seeking to devour you. He's trying to kick you off that narrow road. Now, every day we get up. We expect to be forgiven. We take from God's hand. We expect to be provided for. And this is all true, right? You've heard it. Logistical grace was called in the churches that I grew up in. That God will always provide your needs. But you see, there's, there's in any truth, there's a danger to take it in the wrong direction. I may say to myself, well, yeah, logistical grace means I will never want. And then I'm never... And also, because I expect it in a bold, kind of arrogant manner, I'm never thankful for it. Am I thankful for the grace that I've received today, no matter what it is? So how can we do it? How can we soldier on, carry on, without guilt, knowing that we deserve the judgment of God? How can we take from God's hand every day, even though we know probably yesterday we took from God and took it for granted? Maybe we used what God had given us in a wrong way. Maybe we weren't satisfied with what God had given us. And yet today we expect more. You know, we call it the grace of God. But the grace of God, and that's exactly right, but what is the grace of God based upon? It's based upon our priceless, sinless, precious Savior. Being on that cross, dying for our sins. That's the only reason we can pray this prayer. It's the only reason we can pray anything. The only reason we can call God Father is because of our precious, priceless Savior. And that's something we must not forget. Which is why the Lord gives us the Lord's Supper to make sure that we celebrate it constantly. Now, I imagined a scenario where, <clears throat> let's say tomorrow morning, so if I go through my... You know, what I do, first thing I do is head to the kitchen, probably bathroom first, you know, especially as you get older. Uh, that's a definite pit stop. Probably you already had a pit stop around 3 in the morning or so. <laughs> and then you got to go again. And uh, But, um, you know, my first thing is coffee. And uh, I'm going to go make coffee. So let's say you, you get there, you're going to make coffee, and there's no coffee. Uh, it's gone. So I thought there was, it's just gone. All right. Well, that's, you know, you're going to start twitching a little and thinking I'm starting to get a little angry. I'm not getting my coffee. This is going to be a terrible day. So I, sometimes I have done it, whatever early morning hour, I'll head to the store to go buy coffee. Maybe Starbucks is open and I'll go get one. Let's say then I go get my wallet and it's empty. There's nothing in it. The cards are gone. The cash is gone. Now I'm really mad. Well, I might as well have breakfast then, right? So I go to the fridge. It's empty. Somebody robbed me, I, I guess. There's nothing there. So I go to the cupboards. They're empty. There's nothing there. Now I'm really mad. The only thing I got left is water. So I go to the tap and I turn it on. Nothing comes out. I think Armageddon happened, right? Can you imagine? That should be our day because we sinned yesterday. 
Right? We get up, we expect the coffee, we expect the cabinets, we expect the fridge, we expect the store, we expect the money in the wallet, we expect the cut gas in the car, we expect it. Now, I'm sure there's a lot of, and I hope you are, I try to be. But who of us really, like every time you turn on the tap, do you say thank you, Lord, for water? <laughs> Probably not. If you're a fan of the chosen like I am, they, they pray the, the common Jewish prayers that every time that they eat, they say, thank you, Lord, who is the one who provides bread. Or they pray. It's, it's something different from that, but it's essentially that. Thank you. Ad, they call it Adonai. You know, they, they wouldn't say, I'm sure G, Jesus called him Father, but thank you, Father. Every time. So we usually pray for our food, but um, are we grateful? For those things, you know, if they became scarce, ooh, we would be. But we live in an abundant world, especially in America. We live in an abundant place. Like all the, the people who are from the poor third world countries of this world are longing to come here. I, and I, the people are legitimate, you know, that who who really want to come and have opportunity. They long to come here. So the cross of Christ must never be forgotten, and hence we can't. If we pray Jesus's prayer every day, we can't forget it. Say, "Forgive us our sins." And by the way, when we say forgive us our sins, aren't you uh, reminded of the sins that you've had in the past? You know, it brings to mind. God, what a sinner I am. And I don't even know how much I commit. And yet I'm forgiven. The cross of Christ is a wonderful truth by which anybody can be saved. And that's what Paul's theology is in Romans 4. However, the Lord's Prayer is not about salvation. We are not praying for salvation. We're not praying about salvation. It's a daily prayer for the believer. And from through and through, from first the first of it to the end of it, it's to um, channel our thinking in the right way. These are six vital areas in our lives that must be set straight. Right? Our worship of God, our, our worship and, and praise of the work that He is doing, our submission to His will, our contentment with what He's provided and not having the worry of our provisions, the forgiveness of our sins and our forgiveness of others and then the last petition to run the race that is set before me and not fall into the traps of the devil. In vital areas, it covers every area. And Jesus here is providing for us through prayer the... Um, you know, a course correction, or even if we don't need a course correction, that it is confirmation that we are on and thinking right. But so often we lose our way of thinking. And it gets corrected by this. <clears throat> uh, do we, again, I'll bring this up. Do we sin every day? I say yes. I know there's some out there who think they can reach sinlessness. And there's others I've read or heard about who say, well, I don't commit willful sins anymore. <laughs> that is a weird distinction. You know, God doesn't make such a distinction. Uh, sin is sin, right? You break one part of the law, how much of the law do you break? If you break one part, you break all of it. Uh, so we sin every day. How much, none of us really knows. And there are sins we recognize, and some days we commit things and do things, those are bad days where we do terrible things, or things that we're ashamed of, and we recognize them clearly, um, but even on top of that, and, and that, that, can, that causes chain sinning usually, that's a, like chain smoking. Chain sinning is that after I've done something that I'm ashamed of, I usually fall into a guilt thing. Uh, or a uh, self um, uh, self gratification thing, trying to make myself feel better, and usually those sins, without being recovered from, lead to more and more sin, and those become very bad days. Um, 
But even on top of that, could you really count all your sins? Psalm 130, verse 3 says, O Lord, if you could mark iniquities, who could stand? Now, he's the only one who can actually mark them because he's the one who knows them. He's omniscient. So we say, God, revealed to me. <laughs> None of us would want that. Would you actually want God revealed to me how many sins I committed today? Uh, you would be shocked. And I would be. You know, there'd be so much that we were like, I didn't even know that. And that would be true of all of us. So, despite our sins yesterday, we awaken and ask God for bread and forgiveness today. We take, as the graphic there is, we take from his hand. And God extends that hand every day, without fail. We know this. If you haven't been grateful, the hand is extended. If we've been sinful, the hand is extended. And we take from it. And what God is teaching us in his patience through his word, through his gratitude, is teaching us gratitude. That when will be the day that when we take from him, we're almost trepid and we're almost, we're cautious and we're like, thank you as we take. Meaning, we take from his word, we take his forgiveness, we take his, uh, his truth, we take his food, we take his water, we take his the relationships we have, he's provided them. We take his warmth. Uh, the, the heat went out down here uh, earlier this week, and then it went out again. They fixed it, and then it went out again yesterday. And they, I, I uh, called the building manager, who's, thank God she came back. That The current building manager left to pursue other pastures, and uh, somebody took her place who couldn't do the job. And at that, if I had to call that person, we'd we'd be freezing down here right now. But they brought back uh, Lorraine, who is the building manager, and she is on top of everything. That's why they had to bring her back. So I texted her, and in the middle of class, we we the heat came on yesterday, and I came down here today thinking, oh, I hope it's not freezing. Because currently in this climate, it gets 64 degrees down here if there's no heat on. I know that by experience. I like two sweatshirts on while I'm doing my work. But uh, it was on today. I was grateful. That was one where I opened the door and I'm like, I could feel the warm air hit me This this, when I came here today. And I was like, thank you, God. You know, we don't do it all the time, but, do, I mean, is there room for improvement or what? We, we can't like say, well, yeah, well, nobody really does that all the time, so why? that's just a dumb conclusion. We need to do it more. All of us need to do it more. We need to be grateful. So God gave us our bread yesterday. He kept us alive so we could do his will. What did we do with that? When I say bread, I mean all provisions. Right? Bread. We need more than bread, which is I'm grateful that Christ only says bread. Knowing that we need more than bread to live, it means that bread must mean something more than bread, just plain old bread. It means everything that we need. What did we do with what God provided provided for us? Did we use it to sin against him, which at times all of us have done? Do we <clears throat> do did we do with it all that we should have? Did we omit from yesterday any work that he willed for us to do? Who among us could look at yesterday and confidently assert that we did everything that God desired and did not do anything that was sinful? No one could say it. And yet, here we are today asking for bread, asking for provision, expecting it, and expecting forgiveness. Every believer must know that they are forgiven of all sin. Every one of us, every believer. It's, it's, in some uh, congregations and denominations, believers don't know that. They still believe that they're working for their salvation is absolutely asinine. I mean, we just read in Romans 4. Is it by works or is it by grace? Uh, <clears throat> so, the Lord still includes this in our prayer even though we're forgiven. So, what does that mean? If Christ says, look, I want you to say, forgive us our sins as 
we forgive those who are indebted against us or forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And he also tells us, and the Scripture tells us, all New Testament tells us multiple times that we're forgiven of all sin. Why does he include this, therefore, in the prayer? I mean, obviously, if we're forgiven, we shouldn't be asking for forgiveness. But here, it's not really asking because it's a command. We're demanding it. And what we have is that God is concerned, and it's very important to him, what our attitude is. What is our attitude towards sin? What is our attitude towards the things that God provides us? So, like I just went on my diatribe about, uh, are we grateful? God, does God want us grateful? Oh, most definitely. He commands it of us. We are to be grateful. Say, but I don't have much. Be grateful for what you have. And because of what you have, you're alive. Because of the promises of Christ, you have enough so you don't have to worry about dying. And if you do die, it's His will anyway. But you have been covered by Him so that you can pursue His kingdom. All these things will be provided for you. Don't worry about Him, He says. Seek first His righteousness. And that's the last petition. Keep us on the narrow road. That's the righteous road. Seek it. Walk it. Pursue it. And I can do that. Like all day, I can focus on that because I'm not concerned I'm going to starve. I'm going to die of dehydration. I'm not, I'm not, you know, I'm forgiven of all my sin. So I don't lose my standing and my position with God. I don't lose my relationship with God, even though I've messed up multiple times more than I know. And so I can focus on the spiritual life. So, What God is after here is our attitude. Not that we're seeking forgiveness. We're forgiven. But our attitude about sin and about forgiveness. And it's very important. So we're going to look at quickly, well, quick, that that intro to this point was too long, but uh, quickly look at two things, two ways of looking at this reality. The first is a super low self-image spiritually. All right, this, this is the attitude of, so I've sinned every day. Yeah. I've broken God's law. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. I'm a sinner. I just, I, I'm, I'm a sinner. Yes. I keep messing up. I know. Especially in particular areas. I keep messing up in those areas. I know. I mean, I know. I know it's true of all people. But God would tell you, he knows. Obviously, he knows. And so, we get this attitude of, I'm not worthy. So, I live my life in mourning. Not M-O-R, M-O-U-R. Like for a dead person. And who am I mourning? Who am I in sackcloth over? Who am I wearing black about? Myself. I'm a walking dead man. Is that really true? No. The second attitude is more of the one that I used to have. And some more, I would say it's the one I trend towards. You know, the, uh, one person told me, uh, he said, you know, <laughs> this guy, Lionel, he, he was a deacon at Grace Bible Church. I loved Lionel. He went home to be with the Lord some years ago. He survived by his wife, Karen. They were wonderful people. Uh, well, they are. They still are, I'm sure. <laughs> but anyway, uh, Lionel, I was out golfing with Lionel, and he's like, you know, every Irish person I know is always happy and jolly. And I'm like, what are you talking? He's like, you know, because, we, well, we were out golfing. I was in a good mood, of course. He, he, you know, he didn't see me, the the brooding. The Irish brood probably just as hard as, they, as their... Uh, happy and partying but uh you know each of us are going to trend a little bit more some of us are more trendy towards the depression area and some of us are more trendy towards ah the hell with it attitude you know and that's the second one i'm forgiven so my view of sin doesn't really matter does it i mean because somebody say you know you shouldn't do that oh shut up what business is it is yours 
Maybe someone who clearly cares about you. says, you should probably stop that lifestyle. Hey, I'm forgiven. I have freedom and grace. Well, mind your own damn business. You know, that kind of thing. Yeah, that's, that, I trend that way. And I, I try not to say those things. And I think, you know, there's this rugged American individuality. Uh, I, I just talked with someone um, just recently, a, a professor at Corbin. We were talking about the book of James. You know, the book of James. Who likes the book of James? It's like the least favorite book of any Christian who knows the Bible. They're like, oh, man, I hate James. It's probably not, not inspired. It's a wonderful book. You know, once you understand it and read it. But James is talking about ethical, moral Christian life. And that's why people don't like it. James isn't pulling punches. He's like, you need to do this. And you need to live this life. You know, works, faith without works is, is, a, is a dead man. You need to work. You need to do the things that God has commanded you to do. But, in, you know, there's, we were talking about this, and he shared with me that he thinks that you know, in America, there's a tendency more so in, in the Christian church to kind of, you know, think that, you know, that's not really for me. That's for legalistic people. And we kind of have this rugged individualism. Don't tell me what to do. We even say it to God. You know, the, even his word. You even say to James, you and your stupid letter, don't tell me what to do, James. Which is ridiculous because it's inspired by God. And so this is, uh, I boldly expect God's provisions, and I'm not really grateful. I expected it. Right? So this is the person who gets up in the morning and says, like uh, a certain five-year-old I know, I demand my breakfast. And how many times have we told that certain five-year-old, you need to ask, please. Right? She, she doesn't get anything unless she says, please, first. How many times have we done this? I could count thousands. I I would not be exaggerating by saying thousands of times. And it's going to take until she's like 35 or something before she finally sinks in and she says, you know, I should probably say thank you and please. But this is the I demand to to God. Get up in the morning. Where's my where's my breakfast? Where's my coffee? Where's the gas in my car? If any of these things go wrong, why do you hate me? Right. I got a flat tire. <sighs> you know what I mean? Like instead of saying, "Well, thank God I have a car that you know that that and, and that tires are pretty plentiful and that I can fix this pretty easily," might make me a little late, but whatever. But no. Right, the shelves at the supermarket got a little empty there for a while. I haven't been to the market in a while. I tell you what, if you live in Hawaii, you better bring some cash. Or if you go there, <laughs> I was sticker shocked. Uh, the food there is about two to three times what it costs here. Most most things. A gallon of milk was ten bucks. Um, so anyway, uh, you know, the the store doesn't have the item that I want. Oh my God, how mad am I? There's eight million other items you could get. You're not going to starve, right? Instead of saying when. Uh, as James says, James, getting back to James, James chapter 1, consider it all joy, brethren, when you encounter various trials. Because these trials, I have to, that part I have memorized, these trials are producing in you endurance. So where does your joy come from? When the, you're in the trial, you say, thank you, God. You are building in me endurance. And it's the only way endurance can be built in a believer is through trials. This is clear in the scripture. We don't, we don't pick up endurance on our own. None of us say, you know what, endurance sounds good. I think I'll, I'll, I think I'll be in, enduring it. Yeah, uh, no. You can only learn endurance through trials. So when and knowing this, when God when the trial comes, and look and, and by the way he says not uh, he says various trials, and the word various means right there's a hundred million different kinds. So as I think about it, you know when I was studying that passage I was like when's my last trial, and 
we often will think of you know some big event that has happened, uh, but it's very various means the big stuff, the little stuff, and everything in between. If you're resisting the temptation to sin, that's a trial. If you're resisting an attack, you know that temptation to sin might be coming from demons, from the devil, coming from your flesh, whatever. It's still a trial. It's still a test. Can I stand against it? And that means that every day you and I face trials because we're tempted every day. And therefore, if, I'm, if there's various trials by which I'm tempted by, every day I should be thankful for the conflict. You know, even if it's light or heavy, because God is doing something. God is building in me endurance. And what, was a, what is a life, a spiritual life, in which someone is truly has endurance? What does that look like? And that's someone who cannot be easily pushed off you know, the, the new and living way. The spiritual road, they can't easily be pushed off. You know, in the past, Satan, you could knock me off this road so easily because I didn't have any endurance. But thanks be to my Lord, he's given me a bunch of trials. And I've learned his word, and I know about his Holy Spirit within who gives me the power, and I have endured. I have followed him. I have obeyed his will. I have learned that I don't have to worry about my provisions, and I don't have to worry about the guilt of my sin from the past. And I've truly pursued the spiritual life, and he has, he has helped me go through various trials, and now I have endurance. It's very hard. For the kingdom of darkness to knock me out, knock me off. So there's two that I'm going to give you. Uh, we'll have to wait till uh, Sunday to go into them in any kind of detail. First, there's the no spiritual confidence. I'll never stop sinning, so I'm not worthy. All right, and I'm just kind of low all the time. Uh, and I, in some way, I think this is humility, but it's not. This is like some hyper self-pity. It's not humility. Humility is strength. Right? God gives grace to the humble. Humility is a strength by which before God, I know I depend on you, I need you, and I'm not going to live this spiritual life on my own, not without you. That's humility. Uh, but this is an overwhelming uh, uh, an overwhelming guilt because of your sin. And yeah, we're all sinners. So, And then the flip side to this is the other one, which is spiritual arrogance, which is really a terrible term. I, don't, I'm, I'm just, I came up with that on my own. So that's how you can know when I come up with stuff and I don't steal it from commentators, is that it's actually dumb. Spiritual arrogance is like, I know I'm forgiven. I don't really care if I sin. Why shouldn't I boldly expect from the Lord? Right? And you're going to fall into a pit. But you're so proud. Like, I deserve this. As I, used to, I knew a person who used to always say, I'm God's favorite. Oh, she's driving me up a wall. You're God's favorite. <laughs> what does that mean? Do you actually understand? You know, it's the... You know the the servant that is the greatest of you, the 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 one who serves, <laughs> not the one who thinks they're the best. And so these there's now in both of these there's some truth. In this, you know, uh, a humility and sometimes, and it's in Psalm 51, a brokenheartedness because of my sin. Right, God hates sin. And who have I, and this is what's also stated in the scripture, is that when we sin, who do we really sin against? We sin against God because he's the lawgiver. The people that we've hurt and sinned against, they haven't given the law. They haven't given the morality. It's not from them. The source of the morality and the ethics and the law is from God. And so when I sin, I'm breaking his law. I'm sinning against him. And if that at times doesn't like make you contrite and brokenhearted, Psalm 51 which David writes Psalm 51 about his sin with Bathsheba. And can you imagine if when David got caught, 
because he wouldn't confess his sin about Bathsheba. And then if David said, ah, I know I'm forgiven anyway, whatever. Get me a goat, you know, give me a bull. I'll just go sacrifice it. I've got thousands of them. I'm the king of Israel. What's a bull to me? Go get me a bull. We'll bring it to the temple. I'll sacrifice it. No problem. I'll go find another, you know, concubine. What if that was his attitude? God would have killed him. That's what Nathan told him. Nathan the prophet brought to David the fact that God knows exactly what you did and that you are under the penalty of death because of this. And David said, I confess my sin. I confess it. And he's brokenhearted about it. And God spared him. Now, did he earn God's favor? No. God is looking for an attitude. What, do, what does God do to the proud? That's an attitude. The proud is attitude. What does God do with the proud? Makes war. What does God do with the humble? Gives grace. Humility, pride, they're attitudes. And God wants us to have a certain proper attitude towards sin that's not this or this. Come on. Oh, I hit the wrong. Uh oh. Not, not this or this. And there's something true about both of them. We need to have a courage and a strong confidence, but not a pride. We need to have a humility, but not a mourning of myself. And I'm out of time. Let's pray. Thank you, Father, for your word. Thank you for your word. Thank you for the grace that comes and flows through your word. Thank you for the exhortation that comes from your word and for the warnings that come from your word. May we discern, Father, by your spirit so that the things that we have learned and heard may become a part of our soul, our very fabric that we may know, not to be proud, not to be completely condemned or guilt-ridden, but to have that contrite and humble heart before you and be thankful for what you provide and be thankful for what you forgive and to do that every day. We ask this in Christ's name. Amen.